the same as the measures taken uh, uh, in our country. So, so somehow we have to adjust because the unique situation for Hong Kong in the region and in the world. Uh, but we will try our best to keep uh, 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 the target of uh, zero uh, uh, infection. I wanted to also finally get your thoughts about uh, the decline in the population. The city recorded a population decline of 1.2% in the first half of the year. That seems quite a big demographic change and, and quite alarming. What, what impact do you think that's going to have on the employment situation here in Hong Kong and on the economy? Uh, I, I would say uh, because, well, if you look at uh, the, the, labor, the labor force, uh, or two years ago uh, we thought with the projections that we'll reach the maximum of our uh, labor force by 2022, but mm. the is it's coming down already right now and the, that is a concern uh, when the economy start to pick up again do we have enough labor to meet the demand and that will drag uh, the, the the development of Hong Kong if we do not have sufficient uh, labor but with respect to the issue of the population there are two main or you can say three major reasons for that drop in population one is the very substantial drop of the one-way visa because the the, the border the second is we're actually in the past two years, we have lost 40,000 foreign domestic helpers already. So that is a huge population. And, and, and thirdly, there are a lot of people who have to work across the border in the Greater Bay Area and they're residing in Hong Kong, but then because of the epidemic, now they have to stay in the mainland. So these are the major free areas that are in the drop of the, our population and they will come back once the, the pandemic is over. But a lot of the people are also citing the national security law as well, the changes in the education system. I mean, these people, a lot of them are young and middle-aged families taking their children with them. And at a time when work-wise they're actually getting a lot of experience in their field, moving into middle and senior management, we can't afford to lose them, can we, without damaging our economy and the employment picture in Hong Kong? Well, you see in, in, in uh, two different ways. Uh, yes, uh, you, 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 you probably have friends and uh, hearing people migrating, and the rate is definitely higher than a couple of years ago. But, but in the history of Hong Kong, I don't see this as the highest point of uh, emigration. So emigration from away from Hong Kong has always been with our history uh, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, and also in the 90s. Uh, uh, on the other side, somehow uh, mobility or population in Hong Kong has always with us. So when you have jobs, when you have openings and you have opportunities, it will, we will continue to attract talents coming to Hong Kong no matter they are from the mainland or for any mm. other countries in the world. So, so uh, from, from here, we, we should start looking at how we can uh, attract talents coming to Hong Kong and Hong Kong as an international city. Dr. Law, thank you very much indeed for coming on to the programme this morning. That's Dr. Law Chi Kwong, who is Hong Kong's Secretary for Labour and Welfare. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Quick look at the markets in Australia. The SX200 off 1% at the moment. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down half a percent. Futures markets indicating a decline of about a third of a percent for the Hang Seng. Brent crude oil is off about one and a third percent this morning, trading at $67.35 a barrel. Gold also down a little bit at $1,785 an ounce. 
Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Back chats coming up with Hugh Cheverton and Jenny Lamb in just a moment. Weather forecast for today, sunny periods, a few showers, isolated thunderstorms with heavy showers later. Maximum temperatures about 31 degrees and then will become fine and very hot in the next few days. 29 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. It's 8.34, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says he's focused on evacuating people from Kabul airport. He said the airport is well defended and functioning safely. Speaking at a press conference, Mr. Austin added that they've been able to fly out several thousand people since Sunday and their goal is to increase their capacity to do so going forward. We remain laser-focused right now on Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul and on doing everything that we can to continue evacuating Americans, allies, Afghans who have worked lo- uh, alongside us and, and also other courageous Afghans at special ri- risk. At the same briefing, the Pentagon's top general, Mark Miley, said there had been nothing to predict the speed with which the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan as the US pulled out its forces. Local authorities can now go after the syndicates and masterminds behind the illegal wildlife trade after the Legislative Council passed an amendment bill to include such illicit activities in the Organised and Serious Crimes Ordinance. Aaron Tam reports. Limitations in the existing law meant it had been difficult for local authorities to pursue major wildlife trafficking cases. But with the illegal wildlife trade now being treated as organized and serious crime in Hong Kong, authorities will have more power to clamp down on such activities. Environmentalists hailed the move by LegCo to pass the amendment bill, with the WWF saying authorities can now inspect the financial flow associated with this illegal trade, including of individuals and companies, and confiscate their proceeds of crime. DAB lawmaker Elizabeth Quatt, who introduced the private member's bill, was also thrilled about its passage. The message to the international community is very clear. Hong Kong will not tolerate this kind of wildlife trafficking. And our society are very keen in the protection of wildlife. She added the government should make use of AI to build a better database to analyse wildlife trafficking. After the cancellation of the Standard Chartered Marathon last year, its organisers have announced the event will go ahead on October the 24th. Runners, however, will have to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 to participate. Jimmy Choi reports. Organisers have said people who want to join the race will have to be inoculated by October 10th and present a negative COVID test result 72 hours ahead of the marathon. They also said the tests will be free of charge. Organisers added half of the quotas for the event will be given to those who signed up for the 2020 marathon, which was cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The number of runners this year will be reduced to 18,500 from 2019-74,000. There will be a quota of 4,000 for the full marathon, 6,500 for the half marathon and 8,000 for the 10-kilometre race. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Jenny Lamb. Jenny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about trams and about animal cruelty. Hong Kong's trams ran for free yesterday in celebration of their Guinness World Record as the largest double-decker tram fleet in service. They've been around since 1904 and they carry, it's reckoned, around 200,000 people a day. 
But do they have a future in Hong Kong? Are trams commercially sustainable? Are they mostly for tourists? And if they're so good, would they work in other areas like Kai Tak, perhaps, or West Kowloon, or even Sha Tin? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us. And our number is 233-88266. After 9.15, we're going to be talking about animal cruelty after a couple of uh, interesting cases. A student was arrested for allegedly pouring salt over snails to kill them. And another young man arrested on suspicion of killing rabbits and mice for ritual sacrifice where do you draw the line uh, your thoughts welcome we've already got a few uh, interesting uh, emails uh, on that issue once again our address is backchat at rthk.hk we want to hear from you uh, joining us for our first discussion on trams we have with us uh, cyril oba who's the uh, managing director of hong kong tramways james ockenden who's the founder and editor of transit jam and producer of the radio show wham bam tram i do enjoy saying that and professor brian king is with us associate dean in the school of hotel and tourism management at the Polytechnic University. The email again, once again, is backchat at rthk.hk. Mr. Oban, good morning to you. Hello? No. No, he's coming on a little bit later. James Ockenden, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, So, um, yeah, so uh, there was a day of celebration for the the trams uh, yesterday. Um, I I mean, it's the largest double-decker. Are there many double-decker tram fleets around the world? There's not really. It's not the the hardest record to break. Most of them are sort of single-deck, and if you see them in European cities, they're all single-deck. So Hong Kong, yes, indeed, does break the record there. Um, so they're quite unique. In, in, in European cities, those single deck, you, yeah, you see them quite a lot. Um, and in, around, around the world as well. They're, they tend to be quite modern, don't they? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, whereas the ones in Hong Kong look a little bit more like... Well, they look a little bit outdated, but the, the technology is there. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, they're not no. tourist novelties. I mean, the, the number of passengers a day on those things is way more than tourists. And we've seen, you know, the numbers haven't really declined since the number of tourists has declined in Hong Kong. So there's still 135,000 passengers a day. Um, and that doesn't compare well to the whole MTR network. But if you compare that just to Hong Kong Island MTR network, uh, you know, it's around a third of that. So it's not you know, it's not really a novelty or just for tourists. It really is a serious form of transport. So, um, James, what more can the tram company do or or the government can do to encourage um, tram being used as a mode of transport? Yeah, well, the existing existing network, you know, is great. I think the government does need to look at the walkability, the sort of last mile issue of how you get onto the tram on and off because that is the appeal of the tram. You don't have to walk down escalators and through tunnels to get to it. But still, you've often got, you know, the tram exit will often come out onto a busy road. And if I'm with my two daughters, it's quite nerve-wracking sometimes if they jump off and the railing's missing, then they could just, you know, jump in front of a bus. And that that terrifies me sometimes. So there needs to be more thought about how it connects to the actual walkability of the city. Um, In terms of the network itself, I mean, you've got this electric line running the whole length of Hong Kong Island. We're talking about decarbonising transport. There's a great resource right there. And I think there's got to be opportunity to get some sort of pantograph connection to that electric line in Hong Kong Island and to uh, to replicate that model in in other places as well. So explain about the pantograph. Well, the new uh, green minibus idea, the electric minibus idea, is to use pantographs on these sort of fast-charging minibuses, but they need infrastructure, that's the missing thing. 
Now, what you sorry? Do you need overhead lines? You need. For that? You don't need overhead lines, but you need an overhead charger. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, it's got to be quite easy to create a spur off those electric lines from the tram just for a minibus to pull in, charge for 10 minutes and then go off and do two hours work. So there is infrastructure there that could be used. It's, you know, it's Hong Kong's, I think, first electric, you know, uh, transport, electric vehicle. I guess it was always electric then. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. always been electric. So as we decarbonise our electricity supply, you know, the, the tram gets cleaner and cleaner, just like the rail. Mm -hmm. uh, but the MTR is still the major mode of transport in Hong Kong. So how do you think the government can justify the cost in, in order to put in such a pantograph? Is it just purely a, 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 a sort of a pollution control measure or what, what do you no, think? I don't think the cost of that would be too great on Hong Kong Island. You've got the infrastructure there. That's the point. There, a lot of people are saying we don't have electric vehicle infrastructure, but where you've actually got something that could be slightly extended at presumably marginally not much cost, then I think that's worth looking at. Are there other areas in Hong Kong you think the tramways can be expanded to? In Kai Tak, there's a very flat, long area. Is that, is that viable? Yes, Kai Tak, but look how long it took to get the monorail um, approved and then disapproved <laughs> in Kai Tak. So, I mean, it would be wonderful to see a circular tram uh, at Kai Tak. The, the trams are very efficient on those metal rails. We just did a story yesterday on Wanban Tram about how tyres produce around a thousand times more pollution than exhausts. So you've got metal rails, you haven't got the, the pollution coming off the tyres, the particles. Um, it's very efficient transport and we should be seeing more of it. It's old, it may look a bit old-fashioned, but it's extremely efficient. It's quite slow, isn't it? It is slow, it is slow. Now, in uh, 2009, I actually beat the tram in, uh, in a race organised by the Harbour Runners from Central Market to Shao Kei Wan. And you were crawling? Or... No, I, I was running very hard. It was oh. tough, actually, because it was at midnight, so the tram was going at, you know, sort of 30 kph at some points. But I did still beat the tram. And if I was going from Causeway Bay to, to, to Wan Chai or Central with, without my kids, I would definitely walk. It's faster. But when you've got kids or if you're not quite as if you're not very uh, agile, then the tram is much better than going down those steps to the MTR. Sorry, this was a midnight. You were racing a tram. You were running along That's racing right. a tram. Yeah, it was uh, starting at Central Market and then uh, and then run, run, racing the tram. Yes, and it, and it was a tough race because the tram pulled ahead very quickly, and I had to keep going to uh, <laughs> to catch it up. But once I caught it up, that was it. And I think the tram driver was helping me a little bit towards the end because he saw what I was trying to do. So. Oh, he did, did he? I think so, yeah. There was no passengers on board apart from the, the Just running Just you team. and the tram. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes... Were you sober? Oh, I was, yeah. The, the support team on the tram was not, I think. <laughs> you know, the other day I saw a, a photo of a tram traffic jam. There were like 10 yeah. trams lined up. Explain to us, why, why does this happen? How can we avoid this from happening if it's going to be a viable mode of... Yeah, this happens quite regularly. Um, and of course, you know, it's a single track, so it's going to happen. Um, I would say those, those jams look horrendous and the trams seem to stretch back for miles, but they always do clear very quickly. So um, when, when that happens, they do clear. Uh, th there's not really a way around that on a single line, uh, rail line. Well, uh, also with us uh, now is uh, Mr. Oban, Cyril Oban, who's Managing Director of Hong Kong Tramways. Good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much indeed. How did it go yesterday? So you had free... It was free yesterday. Exactly. Uh, the tram were free rest today, uh, and it was, uh, it was quite, uh, quite successful. Good. Uh, and sort of how many people, then, are you getting at the moment on a typical day? Well, at the moment, we are about... Uh, it's between 135 to 150 at the moment. 
which is uh, which is far below what we are doing uh, when there are visitors in Hong Kong. Okay, so but you're still getting what, what you get about two hundred thousand when you have visitors. Is that right? When we have visitors, it's about one hundred seventy, one hundred eighty thousand. And now you're talking about like one hundred thirty thousand. One hundred thirty to one hundred fifty. Yes. That still means that weekdays. that still means that more than half uh, of your passengers are are local, not tourists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, uh, of course, at the moment, one hundred percent of the of the passengers are locals. Uh, in a uh, in normal situation, out of COVID, uh, I can say that uh, uh, about twenty percent of our ridership are visitors. Yeah, Mr. Orban, you know, uh, the, the tram is, is iconic and very attractive uh, as, as a, a, a tourist attraction, but for an everyday means of transport, it's great if you're young and fit, you can climb up the stairs, you can, the last time I took the tram, um, it, by the time I walked from one end of the tram to the other end of the tram, it was time to get off because it was so crowded. What can it be done to make it more accessible um, to to maybe disabled people, people with children, as James Ockenden pointed out, accessing the tram stops itself uh, can be can be um, challenging. What can be done to improve that? Well, you know there is um, if we speak about full accessibility as it is on the new rolling stock uh, on the on modern trams or metro. Of course, there, there this will be a, a huge challenge because. A public transport system, and, and uh, specifically a rail system, is is, is an integrated system. It means that the, the height of the platform has to be adjusted to the optimization of the floor of the tram. And here, of course, we, I mean, Hong Kong has heritated from the design of the tram as it is and as it was in the in the in the early uh, uh, 20th century. So we have this design, and to adjust designed to become accessible when it was not a requirement uh, one century ago. Of course, this means massive changes uh, to the rolling stock, where probably the identity, the outlook, uh, will be uh, massively impacted. Yeah. Okay, uh, also with us is Professor Brian King, Associate Dean of the School of uh, Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. Professor King, good morning to you. Morning, Hugh. Morning, Jenny. Uh, well, uh, do you think trams are uh, mostly of use, really, as a as a uh, tourist attraction? They take up a lot of space, don't they? Um, are, are they there because they look cute, principally? Well, d different experiences in different parts of the world. Obviously, Hong Kong is very much a combination of visitors and locals. Uh, Melbourne, where I lived for many years before moving to Hong Kong, they had a heritage tram which went around the city that was mainly for... Uh, visitors, but some locals would get it. My home city, which is Edinburgh, uh, got rid of trams but brought them back. That's mainly for, uh, well, no, a combination of visitors going to the airport. So it really varies around the world. There is a bit of a resurgence of trams. Many cities, including in mainland China, Africa, uh, they're, they're on the way back. Uh, typically, as was mentioned in the discussion, a bit more uh, modern rather than heritage. But I think Hong Kong's very lucky that these um, modernized but traditional trams uh, have appealed to, to both groups and, and visitors increasingly want to interact with the locals. So I think we should see that as a positive. You've got some commuters uh, using the trams, 
but you've got other visitors and that mixture uh, becomes part of the appeal of what we call the new urban tourism so that, that's the trend in, in other places do they tend to connect kind of the outskirts the suburbs to the center or, or are they right in the middle which is what they are in hong kong um, well, in Melbourne, it was right in the middle, mm. so the, the heritage tram went around the city, so very much the, the, the inner urban experience. Uh, but then in Edinburgh, my hometown, the, the, the tram connects from the airport into the city, so it, it's more the suburbs. And then in Hong Kong, of course, we've got Yuen Long with the light rail system, which is really a commuter. But, but I think that combination of having these very heritage trams right in the the centre of Hong Kong, the areas like Old Town Central and Wan Chai, which are being developed by the Tourism Board for a new experience. I mean, that that combination is is very unusual and special, I think. Mm. Yeah, Mr. Auburn, in, another way that we see the trams being used are for parties, right? When they're, when they're decked up and, uh, with, a, with the, sometimes some of them have open tops. Does that generate um, a, a meaningful amount of, um, uh, you know, uh, income or, or does it subsidize the, the, the tramways in, in any ways? How, how popular is that? Sorry, you mean about the, the party the trams? Oh, the party trams, yeah. yeah. So uh, the party trams, is, uh, of course, are, are, are very popular. Uh, although, uh, you know, when we had uh, last year our uh, annual survey, passenger survey, it, it, it appeared that uh, a, a bit less than 10% of our passengers only uh, had experienced one time a party trap. So we, we wish that would be much more. But it is definitely an amazing experience. It's, uh, it, it, it's a cool time that you can have with your friends or relatives to go to Hong Kong and, uh, and just enjoy observing, having a, a, a friendly time. Um, how much it contributes to our business, I would say that it, is, it became uh, uh, important enough to be something that we need now. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, it was marginal. Today, it's not significant, but big enough to be uh, necessary to the, to the good balance of the business. One problem, have you ever been on them, Jenny? Well, one big problem, of course, is there's no toilet on a... I have <laughs> not been on a tram party, no. How, yeah. how, how do you deal with that, Mr. Aubin? Yeah, so yeah. Well, it, it has been adjusted uh, a long time ago because you know that the, the tram party... Uh, I, I'm always amazed by that. We are created in, in the in the mid of the 90s, so it's uh, it's a 25 years old product already. And so today, there we, we know we, we you know we organize the tour uh, with some stops in uh, in the Causeway Bay and the Happy Valley, where uh, where we can uh, we, we, we can basically go quickly to the washrooms uh, in uh, some facilities around. So this is organized this way. Uh, but you know that we have uh, we have created uh, two years ago a tram uh, which uh, which will be uh, uh, called uh, in uh, in a few months the tram number eighteen, and this tram has some toilets on board. Really? Yeah, really. So this the, 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 uh, I can tell that this was a kind of nightmare to install. You know the the, the clean water, grey water, uh, how the uh, how the uh, all the the logistic around to. Uh, to empty, full feed the tank, etc. So it was a kind of challenge, but we made it, and it, it, and it works very well.
Mr. Alban, can you tell us uh, about the, the, the kind of people who, who ride on trams? Uh, we, we get this impression that it's an old-fashioned thing, that, that, that you know, elderly people probably prefer the lower deck of the tram. Do you have a, a breakdown of the sort of demographics of the people who ride trams? Yes, of course we have. So um, it's, uh, I think there, uh, you know, you spoke about the accessibility a few minutes ago. And of course, the, the, this is one point that uh, uh, impacts the, uh, the, the, the customer segment. Um, so we, we have more than 50% of our uh, riderships, of our passengers, sorry, which are uh, um, uh, between uh, uh, 20 and uh, 45. So most of half of the of the, 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 the customers are like young customers. And then there is a, a split between the, 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 the child and the, and the over, over 50 and then uh, the, the elderly, which is quite uh, uh, steady. So basically, it's uh, it's uh, working uh, working uh, customers uh, between uh, 25 and, uh, and 45. But uh, you know the, the particularity is that about 70% of the the, the the tram users use the tram only one to six times a week. So it means that we don't have. I mean, you know how people how Hong Kong people are using the tram. It's not something they. They, which is absolutely essential. It's super convenient. It's when you need to, to have a short, uh, a short ride, then it's very convenient, and so you will use the tram. But there is no, we have a, a, about 10% of daily really users, commuters, that are taking the tram more than 10 times a week. What about the uh, extension into into other places? What about Kai Tak? I think because I think, did you put in a proposal for a, for a tram at Kai Tak along the old runway? Yeah, we put a proposal uh, six, uh, five or six years ago, um, and so the, by, it was to, to, to help, you know, the, 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 the thinking and the design thinking about this project. Um, that was a preliminary design, and it has, uh, it has allowed to raise the, the main issues, which are obviously the, the space in some very narrow streets. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, now we we just uh, we are uh, you know we, we we follow the development at the government level and see uh, whether we can uh, we can help uh, with our experience in, in modern trams. Uh, but at the moment, I understand that there is no uh, very uh, concrete you know design that has been established and uh, and uh, and ready to be deployed. Because they they said they were going to go for the monorail and then they changed their mind about that didn't they even though they sort of almost yeah. started building yeah. actually sort of uh, supports for the monorail um so uh, is your plan still officially under consideration is there any possibility of trams and kai -tac? well first if, if if we speak about tram we, we, i mean we, we just have to agree that we are, we are not speaking about the hong kong tram okay uh, yeah yeah the, yeah. The, uh, yeah the double, the double decker tram so of course, our company is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an international player in terms of public transport. We operate uh, in, uh, in, uh, in 13 uh, uh, countries. Uh, Doing trams? Or is it all trams? Yeah, trams, metro, buses. So we have a lot of uh, solutions. And uh, so, yes, of course, we, we, we would be interested by any development in Hong Kong uh, for, for, for sure. But, that, but you know, the, the, this kind of, uh, of development in, 
in some area where the density is already there, except the, the, the former airport, of course, but I'm speaking about the, 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 the connection with the MTR around, um, then, yeah, it, it becomes a, a huge challenge to, to be tackled by the government to, to, to find the best design. Yeah, Brian King, can you see the logic of a tram there? I mean, just the shape of it and the, everything seems to cry out for a tram, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it seems, sorry, it sorry Brian King. Yeah, King. It seems a better solution than a monorail. I remember Sydney had a monorail, but they got rid of it, and they've now got brought trams, which seem to be a bit more consistent with the, you know, the layout of urban areas, um, uh, mixing the old and the new, and comfort and convenience. So, look, I think uh, Kitech very important with all these cruise passengers coming in. How do they move around the city? You need really good integration and. You know, tram, obviously the business proposition's got to, to line up, but uh, that, that's a good integrated solution. There is still a big gap, isn't there, between the, between the end of the runway and the nearest MTR? Yes, indeed. So, so that, that's where the, uh, things yeah. like trams can be very helpful to, to create these linkages. Brian King, of course in the new territories we have the LRT, the, the, the light rail transit. How does that compare with, with trams in terms of accessibility and, and, and difficulty of, of building such a rail system? Well, it's always difficult to build from scratch. Again, back to my home city when they brought back trams, it was a nightmare uh, redeveloping all the, the, the city streets. So doing something from scratch really causes a lot of disruption. And I think it's fabulous that Hong Kong uh, retain the 30 kilometers of the of the tramway because bringing it back hard and i think yun long also had quite a lot of disruption at, at that time look it's a very different uh, concept uh, starting from scratch you do something much more modern whereas the 1904 the hong kong island one has got as mr oban said a lot of that heritage element which creates a little bit of inconvenience, but also is part of the charm, the bringing the old and the new together. So I think very different challenges in Yun Long or Kai Tang. Okay, well, Professor King, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. Associate Dean in the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. We'll continue the discussion. We've got quite a lot of emails uh, on the subject of trams. We're also going to be talking about the questions of animal cruelty later in the programme as well with the founder of the Animal Law and Protection Organisation. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts as ever. Drop us a line, back chat to RTHK. .hk. Before we get to the news at 9 o'clock, here's the latest weather information. Sunny periods and a few showers forecast for today. Isolated thunderstorms with some heavier showers around later and temperatures up to 31 degrees. Light to moderate southerly winds and the outlook it'll become fine and very hot in the next few days. The latest readings at the moment, the air temperature now 30 Celsius and the relative humidity is at 79%. 2008, he was acquitted. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat this Thursday morning with Jenny Lamb and me, Hugh Chiverson. We're talking about uh, trams. For the next 10 minutes or so, then we're going to be talking about the issues of uh, animal cruelty. Two, two cases uh, recently, both involving uh, young men, uh, actually. Make of that what you will. Uh, a student was arrested after allegedly pouring salt over snails uh, in Tim Sa Choi to uh, kill them. He was uh, arrested on the grounds of uh, animal cruelty. Uh, and another young man arrested on suspicion of killing rabbits and mice for ritual sacrifice. Do these constitute animal cruelty? Where do you draw the line? We're going to be talking to uh, the founder of the Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection Organization. Already got some interesting emails uh, on that topic later. Uh, in the meantime, we're talking 
trams. Uh, still with us is uh, Cyril Obin, who's Managing Director of Hong Kong Tramways, and uh, James Ockenden, who's the founder and editor of Transit Jam and producer of the radio show Wham Bam Tram. Uh, okay, there are quite a lot of uh, emails on the subject of uh, trams. Uh, on, the f- on the question of uh, tram parties, okay, Umesh says, Morning, tram parties in the 90s were the in thing. I recall going almost every Friday night to one back in those fun times. Never had any toilet issues either. The driver would slow down on approach, let us jump out, run, do the business and back on. Traffic back in those days wasn't like now. Uh, cheers. We'd love to see them back. That comes uh, from Umesh. Jenny, you said you went you went to tram parties in the nineties. Uh, no, but I do. Rec- I have personally not been on one, but uh, okay. I do. But I do recall seeing a lot of them in the approach to nineteen ninety seven. Do you remember? It's because it's, it's such an iconic, um, you know, tra- mode of transport in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had an off air call from someone who said that they started before the nineties, uh, and that um, uh, this per- the caller she had she wanted to. A venue for a party uh, outside a house, uh, and that was before the nineties, I think. And uh, uh, so, uh, hired a tram to to do it. Uh, Johnny says in an email, "Our beloved tram represents the quintessential Hong Kong character. They're not just a tourist attraction, and continues to be a practical form of transport for our populace. It's cheaper, and in most cases, meant less walking for the riders compared with the long walks of the MTR. I'm an investor in a logistics company, and understand that some of our walkers." use the tram to dispatch documents and small parcels and find it cheap and efficient. I often tell my kids that when I was young and started working, I had to budget myself on my transport to work and usually took tram versus even the bus to save a dollar here and there. It's also the Hong Kong spirit of being frugal. It's my way of imparting some old age wisdom from people of yester generation to our youth. Thank you. That comes from Johnny. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, S says, I use the tram quite frequently. The new seating arrangement, like in buses, provides very limited seating and occupies a lot of space, so the trams feel very congested compared to the old style where there were benches on opposite sides. Uh, In those, the movement from one end to the other is much easier. I suggest the tram company manager also use the trams to experience the difference. Otherwise, the trams are great. That comes uh, from S. Cyril Oban. What what about the layout? I mean, trams are very... They're very packed, aren't they? They're still very congested, and to get from one end, you sort of slight panic as you're trying to get from one end to the other before <laughs> you before you have to get off. Is that experience going to stay the same? Yeah, well, it's also the charm of the tram, right? Oh. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. It, 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 uh, we really take it as a special experience. It is it, it is as it, it is as it is. It's very narrow. That's true, and you know the the the, the wide and the, and the length of the tram is super optimized it means that to, to to maintain the balance of the the rolling stock as it is there is nothing we can we can do we we, we cannot make it larger we cannot make it longer so uh, now how to deal with the you know with the seat arrangement so we had a lot of discussions in fine to see if we can optimize that we even worked with the hong kong uh, university of science and technology to see with the students if they could find about some new design with whatever foldable, uh, uh, with uh, uh, you know seats with uh, motors and etc., they they have very nice and crazy ideas to, to try to to shake a little bit the, the statue quo. But at the end of the day, in terms of um, uh, uh, you know um, uh, working in the tram, uh, the, the mobility within the, the the tram cabin, at the end of the day, it, it's it's a two meter uh, two meters wide cabin, and it is as it is. So. 
the, the trade-off is, uh, do we remove some seats to have more, uh, to have easier flows, or do we maintain the number of seats because it is a need? And the problem is that it depends on the time of the day. You know, during the peak hour, uh, maybe if we remove all the seats, everyone will be happy because it will be less packed and the, the, the mobility, the fluidity will, will be better. But during the during the off peak, then everyone can have a seat, and uh, the more seats you have, the, the the better. So, I think again, we heritate from a design that has been challenged for uh, more than one century, and it is it is extremely optimized already. And time we try to change it, I would say we fail because we we find that the 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 the, the, the today's arrangement works pretty well. Because you, you've got the benches downstairs and the seats upstairs, basically, haven't you? So, sorry? You've got, you the, you've got benches downstairs yeah, and then the seats upstairs. Yeah. But I think the, the S was saying there, why not, why not have benches in both places? What about that? Yeah, it's, um, there is a balance as well in terms of lower deck and upper deck. Uh, when... When you when you come to the upper deck, you have to go through the stairs and go down through the stairs. Through the stairs. And then there is this uh, very uh, famous uh, uh, junction between the people uh, people coming down from the stairs and people uh, uh, on the uh, lower deck uh, who wants to uh, uh, alight from the tram as well. So and at this at this junction, uh, the flow has to be uh, has to be minimum. When, if you have too many people on the upper deck, then there will be like a real traffic jam to, uh, to alight from the tram. So today, the balance, uh, where we have, uh, uh, let's say, two-thirds, one-third uh, lower deck, upper deck, is, 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 is working pretty well. James Ockenden from Wham Bam Tram. You know um, all things traffic. Um, how does a tram actually compare with, say, taking a bus from, from um, say, Shangwan to Causeway Bay? Because a, a bus obviously can be stuck in traffic in a far worse way yeah. and just as crowded. How does yeah. it compare? Well, the, the tram tends to move at a sort of fairly steady speed, or as we said earlier, quite a slow speed, but reasonably steady um, and is a bit more reliable than the bus getting stuck. Um, I mean, I personally take the tram if, rather than the bus simply because, you know, in terms of keeping cool, it's second only to like a bicycle in terms of getting the wind in your hair and uh, keeping you cool on a hot day. And I was quite alarmed to see those new designs that uh, Mr. Alban was just talking about from HKUST, which created this very trendy looking sealed cabin um, where there's no wind, there's no, there's no air coming in. So I think the, the open window design is part of the charm. It makes you very immediate to the street and, and, and keeps you very cool. So, you know, let's, I think Mr. Orban's absolutely spot on when he says the design is optimised. We can, we can criticise it, but it's very hard to see a better way to design that uh, machine. But, but in terms of convenience, you, you, you're saying you, you would take the tram because of comfort. Um, does it... Not really. I would take the tram with my kids who want to stick their head out the window and we can all keep cool. But really, if I was on my own, I would probably walk or, or you know, briskly walk. Mm. All right. A few more uh, emails. Eric says, uh, several people using trams pay using coins. Do these people also count in daily passenger statistics? Uh, please tell Hong Kong Tramway CEO to keep old trams. The new modern ones don't look authentic. Just add aircon to old ones is enough. Can you ask James Ockenden what he thinks about trolley buses and if they are feasible for some places uh, in Hong Kong? Mr. Oban, first, do you, do you count the people who pay with coins in your passenger statistics? 
Yes, yes, of course. Okay. Of course, we, we, we count them, yeah. All right, and uh, James Ockenden, what do you think about trolleybuses? Um, I have no idea what a trolleybus is. Um, I would say on the on the counting of the passengers... Is that it's like actually... an American tram? Right. Like, in, like San Francisco? San Francisco, yeah. Right. Um, just on the counting, I see that the, the Hong Kong tramways is not counting the free passengers because they're just sort of closing off the octopus and the, and the coins. So I would like to ask Mr. Olban, you know, how are you keeping up the data? Because a lot of universities rely on daily transport data. If you're just sort of switching that data off for a day, then, uh, you know, how are we going to keep counting the passengers? Yeah, that's... <laughs> You're right. When uh, the, the irony is that when we offer a free ride day, we cannot measure exactly how successful it is. We just, um, you know, observe empirically uh, if we feel that there is more or less people compared to a normal day. So, for uh, speaking about yesterday, uh, our our uh, drivers told us that it seems that it is it is successful and a little bit uh, higher than the day before. Uh, I took the tram two times yesterday as well to check, and my feeling was the same. But it, I mean, it's it's, it's impossible to, to to demonstrate because, uh, as you said, we use the the, uh, the octopus counting uh, to know the exact number of passengers, and we uh, uh, transform the the coin collection uh, into into passengers as well. Do Do you have to pay rent or kind of any charges to the government to to operate? How does that work? Yeah, we have a few uh, public lands that uh, we have to rent to the to the government. Uh, for example, uh, um, in in Happy Valley, uh, we have uh, we have uh, a office uh, at street level, you know, for the dispatching for our inspectors. Uh, also, our the but, but the lines themselves, you they're, they're oh no 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 sorry the 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 line no 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 the line is just. Uh, uh, a concession where we have uh, a shared responsibility with the government in terms of uh, in terms of maintenance. All right, and okay, oh right, okay. Uh, so more comments. Uh, S says in some trams the benches have been replaced with uh, seats on lower decks. I think that's what he was getting at uh, earlier. Um, let's see. MT says please don't destroy the physical character of the city. Expand trams, keep the Star Ferry, preserve buildings that have character like has been done at Central Police Station. The soul of the city is under attack. Don't destroy its physical character. That comes uh, from MT. Uh, Alan says trams can and should have a bigger role in Hong Kong's transport. Uh, we are lucky they've survived being cold as happened in so many cities around the world in the mid-20th century when the auto lobby got them removed from their roads so the car right. could rule. Some cities like Sydney now are spending billions rebuilding a tram network that was trashed in the 1960s. The problem is, though, that cars are still king in Hong Kong. Absurd as it is in such a dense city where only a few percent have cars, severe restrictions on cars in urban areas to free up road space would allow trams to get around more smoothly and quickly. And to back that up, they need to promote bicycles, both private and shared, pull up, push and electric. Between trams and bikes, we can make Hong Kong's urban areas clean, quiet, safer and more human. But the Hong Kong Transport Department is in love with cars and huge infrastructure to support them. Sadly, I don't see that changing now that the government has no interest or need to serve the public. That comes uh, from Alan. James Ockenden, what, what about that? Because the number of cars has, has, has really mushroomed, hasn't it? Yeah, there's another 200,000 cars on the road in the last 10 years. And, you know, when you were talking about space earlier, Hugh, you know, I think the space, we don't really have a space problem. We have a car problem. And the tram could work and the buses could work a lot more efficiently if the road wasn't so clogged up with private cars with the sort of Alphards. Uh, if you look at the, the footprint of an Alphard, it's probably two Alphards is about the same as one tram. 
So, you know, we really do have a space, a car problem, not a space problem. Do you, like, like the, uh, the, the person who emailed us uh, suggests that it, it would be great if we can have bicycles, but do you ever see that happening in Hong Kong? Yes, I, I mean, I actually use the tram tracks to cycle along. And I was discussing this yesterday with Martin Turner, who's the chairman of the Hong Kong Cycling Alliance. And, you know, he disagreed with me. I said we should turn that into a cycle track, you know, paint it red and keep it clean because the problem is it's very dirty. The, the, the contractors just leave sort of glass and screws and concrete on it. So when you're cycling on it, you get a lot of sand in your face. But it is a very convenient sort of track going along Hong Kong. Do, do, sorry, Island. don't you get the wheels stuck in the... No, I've done that once. You'll only do that once and I broke my wrist. Um, so <laughs> you have to be very careful. You need thicker tyres and you basically cannot cross the tram track, you know, at a, at a, at a, a shallow angle. Um, but if you stay between the tracks and get on that and then go, it's a very nice, uh, good place to cycle apart from all the sand and dust. And when do you do that? What time in the... Because obviously there can't be trams running along at the same No, time. any time of day. You can actually fit a bike. If Are you allowed one... to do that? I, uh, I probably shouldn't admit That's a no, to this then. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. one, more, one more comment. This is from Anthony who says, Dear Backchat, I recall a tram party around 1979 or, or 1980. I use trams all the time, and I'm in my 70s. Keep the trams just as they are, though I like the new design. That comes from uh, Anthony. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed to Cyril Oba, Managing Director of uh, Hong Kong Tramways, and to James Ockenden, um, who's the founder and editor of Transit Jam, producer of the radio show Wham Bam Tram. Uh, okay, quite a few uh, emails on, on various topics just before we get to uh, our second main subject uh, today. Um, Let's see. Uh, Eric says, as the government imposes drastic entry requirements to its own people, Nicole Kidman is given unrestricted entry to Hong Kong, exempt from quarantine. One rule for the rich and powerful, another rule for peasants like us. By the way, says Eric, I enjoy your new Thursday co-host, Jenny Lam. Asks little questions, but when she does, they're sharp. She doesn't interrupt others. Also, a <laughs> big you. plus compared to your, some of your other previous co-hosts. That's uh, from Eric. Thank you, uh, Eric. And uh, a comment from Shrink, who says, With the arrest of the four students yesterday, I'm left waiting for anyone to discuss the possibility that the police attacker on 1st of July was suffering from undiagnosed psychological issues brought about the com by the combined pressures of COVID, financial hardship, and the draconian repression of civil liberties by the CCP cadres and their Hong Kong lapdogs. Instead, he's been dehumanised by authorities as the lone wolf. So much for caring Hong Kong. Guess medical services were too busy mopping up spilt blood to think about his noodles. Perhaps you could, re you could replace one of your informative but rather frequent Ben Cowling appearances with professionals who could discuss the impact that the current climate of repression is having on the psyches of we Hong Kongers and if there has been an upsurge uh, in those uh, seeking help. Thank you very much indeed for that comment. And uh, just uh, w one more comment. Uh, yeah. A housing estate Brett uh, says, uh, does anyone recall the last day that the Hong Rong government hasn't somehow brought itself into disrepute? It's been so long, uh, I've forgotten, uh, says uh, Eric. Uh, sorry, sorry, says, uh, says uh, Brett. 
thanks for that. Uh, and also uh, James says, Professor Ben Cowling, Division Head of Epidemiology Department at the University of Hong Kong. Who better yet not part of the government's COVID panel? Wow. Um, thanks very much indeed for that. Finally today, as I said, we wanted to talk about animal uh, cruelty. Uh, Kim McCoy joins us. He's founder of the uh, Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection uh, Organisation. This is inspired by a, a couple of uh, cases uh, recently, although we don't have to talk about the uh, the ins and outs necessarily of just these these cases. Uh, in one, a student was arrested, a 25-year-old um, doctoral student, was arrested after uh, allegedly pouring salt over snails uh, to kill them. Uh, and another young man was uh, arrested recently on suspicion of uh, killing rabbits and mice for ritual uh, sacrifices, uh, raising various questions about uh, uh, definitions of uh, animal cruelty. Uh, we've got a few emails uh, on this. Let's just go to one here from G uh, who says, animal cruelty is rife in Hong Kong and I fear it will only get worse. Tail docking is supposedly illegal in Hong Kong yet how many poodles with tails do you see wandering the streets? These poor dogs had their tails chopped off when just a few weeks old without anaesthetic. I've seen botched tails where the spinal cords are irreversibly damaged, open wounds that have become infected with maggots and puppies have died from sepsis. Why are all the pet shops purchasing and selling these puppies not being arrested? Why are puppies and kittens being continued to be bred on appalling, unsatisfactory conditions to be displayed like soft toys behind glass screens stuck in tiny cages with water bottles that are completely incapable of maintaining sufficient hydration? Dogs lap water by cutting their tongue downwards. These water bottles were designed for laboratory rodents, not dogs. Why does the AFCD permit entry of puppies from overseas that are clearly below the required age of... Uh, import uh, G drawing attention to some other cases. Thanks very much indeed for that. And Sandra says Hong Kong's animal protection laws have been seriously lacking for quite some time. New amendments were supposed to occur in 2021 but with the ongoing pandemic, the issue of animal cruelty and the new positive duty of care placed on owners that would help protect animals in Hong Kong has been pushed to the side. The living conditions some animals endure in Hong Kong is shameful and cruel doesn't begin to describe the situation. Sometimes not even the basics of shelter, food or medical attention is provided. This is especially common for construction dogs whose sole purpose is to guard a construction site. With no real owner, they are given no medical attention, no shelter, and often have to fend for themselves to find food. Not to mention they're rarely neutered and therefore continue to create an endless supply of stray unwanted puppies that amazing organisations like Paws United, Charity, SPCA, Catherine's Puppies, Saikung Stray Friends Foundation and so many other non-profit charities have helped to find homes for. But more has to be done. We need stronger anti-animal cruelty laws, more education in animal welfare and the community as a whole has to report suspicious suspicions of neglect and or abuse. Hong Kong shouldn't need so many charities to take care of stray or abandoned animals. The fact that we do says a lot about the city. That's from Sandra. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Mr McCoy, good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. As I say, we can't necessarily go into the, the, the details of these particular cases uh, that, that have hit the headlines. But what are your thoughts on, like, for example, uh, uh, putting salt on snails? It's, it's widely done. Uh, it, does that constitute animal cruelty? What do you think? Well, well first of all, I, I thought it was an extremely bizarre situation. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm, what I'm glad... To, to see is that the public are actually uh, speaking out when they see instances of animal cruelty, uh, such as the the one concerning the snails. But yes, it, it, it is animal cruelty uh, per se. I mean, the definition...
definition of animal under the relevant Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Ordinance is drafted extremely wide. So it includes mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, fish, or other vertebrae or invertebrates. So technically, uh, everything is covered by this ordinance. Um, so even pouring snails, uh, assault on snails, constitutes animal cruelty under the law. Mr McCoy, this, this young man, I think he tried to justify it by saying um, that the snails were pests. Is that a justification? Well, the, I think that that's a very dangerous uh, excuse because if, if he's allowed to justify um, himself by saying they're a pest, then uh, where does that stop? I mean, you have, you have cats and dogs running around the street. Are people then able to, to say, you know, they are, they're running wild, they're coming onto my property, I'm justified in doing something against them? I think that's a very dangerous precedent to set. Yeah, but it's not illegal to put out rat bait, for example. No, no, it's not. But that's also not done by, uh, you know, members of the public in, in sort of... Uh, uh, militant-style operation. I think it's more um, the fact that this guy is going out there on, an, on his own and doing this, which is really a concern. Yeah, you know, when I read this story, Mr McCoy, it reminded me of a Japanese uh, tapenyaki meal that I saw once in which they put a live whelk um, onto a, a hot plate and it was squirming in its own butter. Um, yep. Is that animal cruelty? Well, it's, 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 that's a really interesting question because we've, we seem to, uh, in, in other jurisdictions now, we seem to have a, a trend in animal sentience. So in the UK, they're starting to recognise, uh, you know, creatures like octop octopuses, lobsters, crabs. They, they are sentient beings. So, so in order to, uh, you know, prepare them for meal, they have to be treated properly and, the, and by... By properly, I mean, you know, not just putting live creatures into boiling water because as sentient beings, they feel pain, they, they, they feel, you know, love, and, and they are alive. So, um, I mean, that, that in, a, in a way could constitute uh, animal cruelty, but of course it's not yet in Hong Kong. Uh, killing ants? Killing ants, yeah. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I mean, you talked about precedent, but you know, if you push it too far the other way, it becomes nonsensical, doesn't it? And then, like, I don't know, eat, eating an oyster would be a, would be, uh, if it's true they're alive, um, then that would be that would constitute animal cruelty, wouldn't it? No, absolutely, and that's what is, there's always a, a line that needs to be drawn, and it's mm. um, it's it's all about sort of uh, in in a way common sense of what actually is the practical purpose, you know. Yeah, as you say, so it comes down to the purpose. So if you wanted to kill, say, the, the, um, the case of the rabbit, if you wanted to kill a rabbit because you wanted to eat it, that's okay. But if you kill a rabbit because you think it will bring you good luck, that's not that's cruelty. Well, uh, in a in a way, I think it's it's the manner in which the animal is being is being killed as well. I mean that that also takes into account, um, you know, just just what they're doing and whether it falls under the definition of cruelty. You, you know, uh, Mr McCoy, uh, does it sometimes come down to, to different um, 
different cultural values, if you like, uh, out in, in, in some areas in, in the new territories, wild boars have become a, a kind of pest. They tip over the bins, they eat the rubbish, and then there are people who, who go and feed them that, uh, that encourage the boars to come into urban areas. There are signs everywhere, government put up signs everywhere to tell people to stop doing that. So, so where do you draw the line? Do you, do, do you, uh, are we allowed to get rid of them if people see them as pests, or are, are people being kind to them by feeding them? Where do you draw the line? Well, uh, I, think, I think how I can answer that question is by this proposition. I mean, the boars were here before we were, um, and so we need to respect them and their uh, surroundings and their, their area. So through people, the people interaction with these boars, um, we're, we're sort of taking away their natural instincts by feeding them, by leaving rubbish around. They are losing... Uh, their innate ability to forage for food, and they're relying on humans. And that, that's possibly why we see so many instances of boars and wild pigs coming into, you know, more urbanised area. I mean, I think uh, earlier in the year we had uh, a family of wild boars swimming in Central, um, and that's, that's possibly because they're looking for food. So um, I think in order to prevent um, prevent that from happening and... Uh, we, we just need to be very conscious that we need to respect their area and and draw a line in the sand and say you know we we can't we can't feed them because yeah. that that in itself will uh, cause significant problems. But the truth is, in the new territories, for example, there are, there are more that our urban areas are expand expanding into the natural habitat of of the pigs. We are encroaching in their space. Um, so, so how do you delineate that? Is, is, is it even possible to delineate that? You're saying respect their habitat. Is it even possible any longer? Well, again, that's, that's a very interesting question. And other, other jurisdictions have said, you know, we, they're very conscious of the natural habitats of uh, different animals, such as bats and even koalas in Australia. And the government have actually said, no, we need to protect uh, areas such as these for the welfare of these animals. Um, whether that's ever going to happen in Hong Kong is a very different question um, and one that I can't answer. But uh, I would hope that at some stage um, something like that could be done in, in that we recognise that there are animals living in the wildlife and we need to respect their, their um, area. Isn't the whole definition of animal cruelty all kind of mixed up and kind of uh, illogical? It's to do really, isn't it, with... Yeah, with a with a cultural situation, also our attitude towards pets. We're we're obviously we're, we're very protective of dogs and cats and animals that live closer to us, but uh, we really don't care what happens to you know pigs in farms or chickens in particular, uh, you know, which are slaughtered by the by the uh, truckload. Um, the, the whole area is, is 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 very murky, isn't it? It's not like you can draw hard and fast lines and lots of these things. I mean, we the applicable law, the uh, Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Ordinance, is very, very old, and the definition of uh, cruelty is drafted in a way that's very archaic. So you're talking about, you know, infuriating animals, overriding, overdriving animals. So this this is language coming from you know the 18, 1840s when we first had the uh, the legal requirements of animal cruelty introduced into Hong Kong. But uh, I, I also agree that it's, it's the 
to these animals, whereas when we're talking about farm animals such as pigs and chickens, as you have said, Hugh, um, we seem to forget that they too are animals, but yet we, we're able to turn a so-called blind eye to the way that these animals are treated and killed. Mm. Uh, Victoria Ann on Facebook says uh, regarding animal cruelty let me just remind listeners on these cases reported in the last couple of years dog poisonings at Cyberport illegal smuggling of pets lead to many drowned but the most famous was two men arrested for throwing 29 pets out of a building the police did not charge the suspect and the DOJ dropped the case citing insufficient evidence even the SPCA came out with a statement to condemn this now fair enough the student was caught he should be arrested but where is the fairness in all of this in the case of the Cyberport poisoning the police investigated investigated and concluded that it's possible the dogs ingested poisonous plants. Dogs have been visiting that park for decades and to this day they still haven't realized, released the details of the lab findings when there were samples of the poison handed as evidence. What kind of society are we living in? And uh, Rick says on animals and reptiles, please don't forget that the pointless ritual killing of snakes for fun. I see too many stoned. They, the perpetrators, need locking too, uh, but unlikely to be caught. That's from uh, Rick King. McCoy, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Founder of the Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection Organisation. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Jenny, many thanks to you. Thank Here's you. The weather before we go, sunny periods and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms and heavier showers or forecast too, and the thunderstorm warning has just come into effect. The outlook becoming fine and very hot in the next few days. 30 Celsius now, relative humidity is at 76%. With the completion of COVID-19 vaccination and achievement of herd immunity, I hope we can go home directly after traveling out of Hong Kong, visit grandma and grandpa with other family members safely, exercise indoors without restrictions, get together with a group of old friends again, travel outside Hong Kong during holidays. I hope that we can return to normal life. With all the rewards and concessions, let's get vaccinated early. 9.34, the news now with Vicky Wong. Labour and Welfare Secretary Lo Chi Kuang has dismissed concerns the government's tighter quarantine restrictions will, di will discourage people from getting vaccinated and delay the reopening of borders. His comments come after his administration announced that people arriving in the city will no longer be allowed to undergo a shorter quarantine, even if they have a positive antibody test. Canadian court hearings designed to determine whether or not the senior executive of mainland tech giant Huawei, Meng Wanzhou, should be extradited to the United States have ended after two and a half years. The Canadian government, pro government prosecutor said the court should have no difficulty in finding Meng Wanzhou had committed fraud and so should be handed over to the Americans. And the Taliban are tightening their grip on Afghanistan. In the eastern city of Jalalabad, they violently put down an anti-Taliban demonstration, reportedly shooting dead a number of people. There are heavily armed Taliban patrols everywhere and far fewer women on the streets. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Cheers, Vicky.